Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everyone, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. And I love today's episode because I sit down with Jacob Badsgaard, who is an expert in digital marketing. He's the founder and CEO of Disruptive Advertising. And he has taken that to a multi, multi, multi million dollar business in just a few years time. And you know why he's been able to do that? Matter of fact, in his first year, they crushed seven figures. Nobody does that in their first year business. And here's why. Because he said, listen, if I'm really good at digital marketing, like I say I am, I should be able to drive tons of inbound leads for myself. So he actually walks the walk. And that is so rare in this day. And that is just one of the millions of awesome answers that he gives in this episode. So there's so much value coming up for you. Now, speaking of value, before we get into the interview, I want to remind you that we offer what's called revenue boosting VIP days. If you're a solopreneur or if you have a small team and you have a couple of different revenue sources that you're happy with, but as my friend Ed Milet puts it, you're blissfully dissatisfied, meaning you would be much happier if a lot more was coming in. Well, that's one of our areas of expertise is sitting down with my team for an entire day. My team becomes your team. We roll up our sleeves and we find new streams of revenue for you that are very implementable. We give you the plan on how to execute it, and we even streamline and maximize the current revenue streams that you already have. So if you feel like you bump up against a wall, against a ceiling, and it's time to break through from six to seven figures, then go ahead and email me, chris at for the love of money, and put VIP day in the subject line. Again, that is chris at for the love of money, and put VIP day in the subject line. I can't wait to talk to you about where you're at right now and what your goals are. Trust me, when my team gets a hold of your business, things happen quickly. Now, speaking of things happen, happening quickly, I was introduced to Jacob by his PR firm, actually. I mean, that's how effective he is at getting people's attention online. And his PR firm caught my attention when they reached out because when they talked about him, when they described him as a human, he is the epitome of generosity. He is the perfect example of what we aim to talk about on this show, not only as a human being, but also as a boss. His stories of how he gives back to multiple people with his employees are going to absolutely inspire you. Matter of fact, it will probably change the way that you do business if you have any employees of your own. He offers great viewpoints on how he views money, especially as a faith-based man, how his faith has helped him view money, view success, and make him more successful. And best of all, he is generous to give us plenty of digital marketing tips, like where you should be spending your Facebook ad money, your Google ad money, and where most people are wasting their money on ineffective ads. Matter of fact, they did this huge study, and they realized as an agency that most people are wasting 76% of their marketing budget on ineffective Facebook ads, Google words, you name it. 
So if you feel like you're not getting the return that you want on the ads that you're putting out there, trust me, been there, done that. I've felt that before. He's going to give you lots of tips that he doesn't necessarily have to give us, but he shares anyways, because of course that's who he is. That's his heart. He's that kind of generous guy. So get ready. Listen up. Tons of epic value is coming your way. All right, Jake, my friend, how you doing? Thanks for being on the show. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Chris. Of course, of course. We were talking offline a little bit, but I knew I had to have you on the show when your PR firm had emailed me and they were talking about this generosity side that you have, this giving side that you have, and that's literally what the show is all about. So I'm excited to eventually get to that part in the show. But before we do, I start all of my shows with a rapid fire session. I just feel like it's a really fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And if there's something really cool that comes up that we want to come back around and do a deep dive on, we'll do that. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right, cool. We'll start real easy, man. Where'd you grow up? Spanish Fork, Utah. Ah, and where do you live now? Spanish Fork, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a great spot. You never lived. Never lived. Is there a good ski in there? What part of Utah is that? Yeah, we're about an hour away from Park City and all the ski resorts. Very cool. My wife has been slowly teaching me to snowboard over the past few years. And let me tell you something, that is like a real test in have I dealt with my ego yet, learning how to snowboard from my wife, who's an epic snowboarder as I tumble down the hill. <laughs> so what's one of your all-time favorite quotes? Oh, my all-time favorite quotes. You know, I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm like branding the Nike uh, uh, company here, but I love to just do it. I just love getting after it, well, not asking too many questions, just yeah. getting after it. It's so true. It's funny because that quote's been around forever, but it's still the most relevant advice you can possibly give somebody because people yeah. get paralyzed, right? They get paralyzed and they don't take that next step. So I love that. What's one yeah. of your superpowers? One of my superpowers, I, you know, I'm, anytime I go fishing, I almost always catch the most. <laughs> I just, I just know how to whisper to him, you know, that's awesome. You know, it's funny. I grew up trolling with my dad every single weekend. He like, he'd wake me up at 4am. We'd go out trolling on Lake Michigan in the Midwest where I grew up. And while it was always a good time, we never caught fish. So I might have to come fish with you <laughs> instead. What's one of your favorite books? Are you a reader? I am. Uh, my favorite book of the last couple of years, I, I, I read a lot of business and self-help books, but, uh, essentialism has probably been the one that's made the biggest impact for me personally. You know, I haven't read it yet, and some of the people I respect the most in my life, they say that's one of their favorites, so there's a sign. I've got to read it. A few more here. What's one thing that you're challenged by right now? First thing that came to mind is I've got three daughters, and if it's not one, it's the other. That is my challenge each day. <laughs> <laughs> What's the age range? Uh, 10, eight and four. Oh, see my wife and I don't have kids yet. We are about to go down that journey pretty soon here. So I'll be hitting you up for advice. Okay. Uh, favorite speech or advice you've ever given. You know, I, I regularly speak at our local universities and, and for me, uh, probably the, the most meaningful one that I've shared, uh, about was, uh, it was my senior year in college. I did 57 credit hours in one calendar year. We had our first baby. I was working full time. Um, and I, right in the middle of all of that, which was the most stressful year of my life, I had a pretty serious injury and broke my leg. 
And uh, it was in that moment that a lot of people just came out of the woodworks. And for a guy that, that, that is pretty egotistical and looking to serve, but not certainly not looking to be served, um, that, that was one of those moments in my life where, where people just came out of the woodworks to, uh, to help me out in that time period. And, uh, that, that's just, that's what has kind of inspired me to who I want to be every day is I want to be that person that comes out of the woodwork because I, I know what's going on in people's lives and I act and I show up when they need me to. Oh man. So good. Who is someone who has changed your life? <clears throat> I would say the most influential people in my life would be my parents, for sure. And uh, I would say that uh, probably the biggest lesson I learned from both of them was uh, the importance of family and hard work. That's incredible. You know, it's funny that I've done probably 170 interviews now, and the most common answer are parents and spouses. And people oftentimes will frame it, right? Jake, they'll say, oh, it sounds trite, or oh, you know, I don't mean for it to sound whatever, but they don't understand like everybody who's at a high level, they are giving credit to their parents and their significant others. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it shows that it's that core that's going to help make or break you. A couple more, uh, one regret you might have. The, The biggest ones that come to mind for me is, uh, punting hard decisions. When I, and I could give you probably hundreds of examples, but I think of a few in particular of, uh, especially in business of, of clients or people that I knew were the wrong fit to be working with. And rather than just doing what I knew was right, punting those decisions down the road far too long, sometimes over a year. And uh, those are some of my biggest regrets. You know, I think we're all guilty of that. And, and I think it's something that literally plagues people. So I might circle back around on that one. Last but not least, what is something generous that you have done recently? Well, one, one of the things is uh, in my company, we actually have a charity committee. And uh, we, we have a certain amount that is allocated each month for them to go and do. And uh, we've actually donated quite a bit to a human trafficking campaign uh, here in uh, Utah to bring awareness to that and uh, so that people know what's going on and we can make a difference with that. Oh, my God. I love that. We're going to circle back around on that because that is absolutely one of the things that turned me on about interviewing you is the fact that you pull your employees together and let them vote, if I have it correctly, on something that is important to them as a group. And then you help fund that each month. Matter of fact, forget circling it back around that. Let's start there. Like, tell us about that. How did you come up with that? And, and how does it work in your company? Yeah, you bet. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a religious person. And so I've, I've grown up paying a, a tithing my entire life uh, from income. And I love that. And I feel like uh, it's, it's, it brings out an abundant mindset and a grateful mindset. And it's really, I feel like it's blessed my life. Uh, that being said, it's it's not always the most fun way to donate because you're not as hands-on or involved with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, what I decided is, you know what? I feel like the more I put into the world, the more that comes back, and not just financially speaking, right? I'm saying all things. Mm-hmm. And as we got the business going, uh, from pretty early on, 
I've just always had a, be a priority that I know what's going on with everyone in the company, with their personal life events, and when big things happen, uh, to be there to support them, uh, oftentimes from a financial standpoint, but also oftentimes from just a big hug or a conversation or whatever that might be. Um, and then the other part is that as a percentage of our net income, uh, we actually just have a budget that we go in and contribute every month. And uh, the process is simple. There's a committee that uh, runs that. They send out a survey once a month. Uh, everyone in the organization, we've got about 110 people here now, can submit as many as they want, right, uh, in terms of things that are going on. The, the committee goes through those, uh, has the, the opportunity and also burden to prioritize those, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then they go through those. The cool thing is we try not to just write a check, right? Because sometimes I... A lot of the times it, it can end up being that, but uh, they determine what projects we want to go after and how much of the funds to allocate for each. And it is it is just mind-blowing to me with the small influence that we have with, with ourselves and the company, our immediate families, and then our extended families and friends. Every month there's someone with uh, terminal cancer. Uh, that is, uh, every month there is someone that went through a financial devastating blow. Uh, every month there is someone that had a tragic death or injury, or it's just, I can't believe it. Wow. And it's, you know, we just do what we can to help out in those situations. It's incredible. Can you give us a specific example? You don't need, you don't need to include names, but an example of where you donated and you as a company kind of came together to go physically work on one of these projects? Well, the first one that comes to mind is a family that got in a car accident and, uh, uh, the the surviving mother and daughter, uh, you know that's pretty traumatic to have your, uh, your your husband pass away and and a child as well and uh, and in that particular situation there was this isn't even someone that uh, at the company the person that submitted it wasn't even that close to them they were just aware of the situation and uh, they went and met with them uh, figured out what was important what they were going through and ultimately they helped them book a uh, uh, a trip and an itinerary and everything to to go to Disneyland uh, for a week with her and her daughter to kind of go and bond and have that moment together. Um, uh, we go to the food bank almost, I mean, every month to go and serve and provide food and desserts and uh, talk with people. Uh, we uh, we very often put together memory packages for people that have terminal uh, illness. So that they can go and get some really good family portraits uh, before the inevitable and uh, and some fun things for them to go and do. And so those those are uh, some examples of the projects that we do. It's amazing. You know, I talk a lot about generosity and giving on here with a lot of people. The memory packets. Uh, I, that's the first time I've heard of someone doing something like that. It's brilliant. It's It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I can't imagine how it affects you. Matter of fact, how does it affect the team? How does it affect everybody at work when you guys come together and come up with a cause and physically go work on it and donate? Like what side effects have you seen as a leader in your company, right? As this founder and CEO, what have you seen it do for your company and your team? I think there's a couple of uh, direct things that I noticed from that. One of them is it just creates a much stronger abundant mindset because this is what I say. We come in and we kick ass and we are great at what we do so that we can provide well for ourselves and have enough left over to make a difference in the community. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so that's kind of the mantra, right? It's not like we're just, uh, we, we, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to do so well that we can do both. And so that's the abundant mindset that I think that it's created in the organization. Um, the second thing is I realized pretty quickly that it, there needs to be buy-in and there needs to be involvement. And so the people that actually submit the ideas, if theirs is chosen, they are actually in charge of spearheading, organizing, and making those things happen. And what I've found that by giving them those opportunities, that that the impact that they feel from that, because just think about it. If the company just writes checks to causes that I care about, and then I try to tout that in a way that makes it a great place to work, it's hard to emotionally buy into that. Yep. Uh, but in this situation, it's their ideas that they carry out. And sometimes I'm just a participant, right? Yeah. So and they ownership. So they have ownership in that. And when they see that I come in and I do well for myself and I create these opportunities to make a difference in uh, in the community or, or in my uh, sphere of influence, I think that the level of buy-in and, and desire to be here, it's regularly brought up as something that people really appreciate about being here. I can only imagine, you know, when I worked in uh, banking for, at the time, it was the world's largest international bank, I would take my team and we would go volunteer and watching everybody come together, strengthen friendships, uh, talk about work even while they're volunteering, but in a very different setting, right? So you're changing their state, you're changing their setting and new ideas are like, there are so many benefits to pulling people together to create acts of generosity that you don't get without doing that. And one of the things you said that I caught, I think is really important. I want to make sure other people caught that. And that is you've taught them abundance. In other words, to create a cup that's flowing over so that you have enough for your own good life and also to help other people's lives. So not only are you living that way, you're probably inspiring your team to live that way. Is that a fair statement? I think so. I love that. That's so cool. It's one that, as a leader, of a company the size of yours, that's one of the coolest things you could possibly do. I love it. Let's talk about your company a little bit, disruptive advertising. Um, as simple as possible, because the majority of listeners are newer entrepreneurs, describe what you do for people. Companies come to us for help advertising on Google and Facebook because they lack the bandwidth or the expertise to do so themselves. So I feel like there's a million... Facebook agencies popping up everywhere, right? All these so-called experts. What sets you guys apart from all of them? Well, to be successful on Google and Facebook, you do need to be expert in your craft and know how to work those platforms to drive good traffic to your website. Uh, but what we've found is oftentimes the difference maker are two components that I think we uniquely provide compared to others. Uh, number one is we, uh, my background, as well as a lot of my leadership team, uh, come from a, like a data scientist background. We've done analytics and data for the majority of our careers. And so the first thing that we do is we tie it all together so that we can see what it's actually producing and be accountable to cost and revenue output. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other component is that one of the biggest levers that is often overlooked in a marketing campaign is ensuring that the right experience has been dialed in on the website. And so We've got a team of, of, of developers, designers, and strategists that actually test many, many versions of the experience on the website to say, how do we get two out of 100 buying or filling out a form or doing whatever to 5, 10, 15, 20 out of 100? We have some uh, sites that, or, or landing pages that we get converting over 50%, um, really dialing in the website experience uh, so that the traffic and, and the uh, efforts on Facebook or Google are actually translating into business success. Now, you guys only started three and a half years ago. Is that right? 
five years ago. Five years actually. ago. Okay, sorry. Yep. So um, five years ago, if I did my homework correctly, I think I saw your first year in business. You already did a million bucks in revenue. Well, we started midway through the year. We started in September of 2013. And so that year, I think we did, it, it was a six figure, but our first full year, we did two and about two and a half million. Okay. I mean, that's some screaming growth right there. What are you doing different as an entrepreneur that other people probably aren't doing in their first year, year and a half of business to get you past seven figures in revenue right away? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, number one is I, I did have the funds. I, I'm actually a fairly conservative guy, financially speaking. And so I made sure that I had the funds that if I didn't need to take an income for a bit, I didn't need to, right, for, for a year, two years if, if needed. And uh, that alone allowed me to invest more into growth, right, rather than needing to live off of uh, the income generated from the business. So that was very helpful. Uh, and then the other component is we – Man, I just eat my own dog food. I know how to set up great campaigns on Google and Facebook, turn those into good leads and uh, myself, and then eventually build a team to close those down, fulfill, and make it happen. And so uh, what we provide for our clients has been our main engine for uh, inbound leads and sales for ourselves. That makes sense. I mean, if you're already good at getting inbound leads through Facebook ads, Google AdWords, it would make sense that you could create rapid growth for yourself. Matter of fact, I just had this really basic aha moment. <laughs> Pardon me for how juvenile this is, but why would somebody want to hire an advertising agency, a Facebook agency that isn't able to go create this kind of rapid growth for themselves? It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It does yet. And I just don't buy into the cobbler's kids goes without shoes. Like that saying, I think is just a load of crap. Mm -hmm. I think if you're actually good at it, you sh the, the best case study you should have is your own business. Yeah. And, and at least on, on the, on the services and agency side of things, I'm, I'm a big believer in that personally. Jake, I, I totally agree. So have you always been this entrepreneurial? I mean, what was, what were you doing? Let's say six years ago prior to this. You know, I think it skipped a generation. I actually grew up, uh, there, there's 10 kids in my family. Whoa. And uh, I grew up in, a, in a, a very conservative household. And my, my father worked for a bank or a credit union his whole career. Um, my grandpa was an entrepreneur, although I did not know him very well as he passed when I was fairly young. But uh, I think the personality and, and it is, uh, the desire has always been there. But uh, didn't. You know, I, to be perfectly honest, I just thought if I could grow up, graduate from college and at some point make a hundred grand in a year, I would be set and live <laughs> in high life. And uh, that was my thought for a long time. And uh, that time came and went and, and it didn't meet all those expectations that I thought it would. And, uh, you know, five years ago, just decided to go for it. And, uh, you know, things have worked out, man. I love that. So Obviously, we talked about the success you've had building this company. Give me like a massive, oh crap moment, a massive hiccup, some kind of hurdle that you had to navigate through and how you got through it. Well, I, I just imagine myself holding a scroll that you can drop down to read, mm -hmm. but it just hits the floor and rolls right? Yeah. Because it's a pretty long list. <laughs> but, but I, I would say the biggest hiccups because, uh, we have been a, we're a predominantly service-based business, although we've built some great technology. So I would now categorize this in the tech enabled services. Um, I would say that the biggest hiccup is saying yes to bad revenue. Mm. 
Um, there are so many clients that we worked with early on that just really pushed to work with us. And I'm like, you know, I'm a hammer and you're a nail and clearly this is going to work, even though I kind of knew it wasn't going to work. And you spend so much time on just, just bad revenue clients that are either a holes to work with or that don't have models that are even viable business models to begin with. Um, a lot of these things, and you're just so hungry and scrappy and trying to figure out a way to get things going that you think you got to take everything. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I were to go back, I would learn how to say no to bad revenue much, much sooner. Even in the beginning, even when you're saying, all right, I started this dream. I need some revenue. Here's a client right in front of me. You'd really go back and say no to when your intuition, your gut feeling says, don't work with this person. 100%. That's such good advice for everybody. Because I think people act out of desperation at first. Not you, by any means. But I'm just saying, the entrepreneurs... Oh, I totally did. The entrepreneurs listening, right? We, we've all been there where we're like, oh my gosh, this is my new company. I'm panicking. This this person's worth this much money. My gut's telling me no, but my wallet's telling me yes. <laughs> and, and you end up working with them. And some point quickly down the line, you say, I knew it. And you end up kicking yourself. So for anyone listening, if you get that gut feeling, it's not worth the revenue, is it, Jake? It's not. I'm sorry. It's not. So you built this company, you started hiring people. And one of the most impressive things was when I was doing a little research on you, your website under the about us, it's not just one of these cheesy little barely mentioning your team uh, type of websites. It was the most beautiful profile of everybody working there with the most beautiful headshots and cool little descriptions. Like, you know, you'll find this guy traveling 10 months out of the year, you know, doing this, doing that. Like it was very personal. So I can tell what it's like to work for you in your office. I can tell that you hire what I call thoroughbreds. So what advice do you have uh, when somebody is pre-seven-figure revenue or barely over seven-figure revenue? What advice do you have for them when it comes to making their first few hires? Well, I'll tell you the one area that I feel like has been the best indicator of success when I interview someone is... Uh, and I haven't always followed this, so you know, just take it with a grain of salt. What was your first job and why? Mm, good question. And uh, that to me has been a good indicator of, is this someone that's learned how to work through hard things even when it wasn't that great? Um, did they, have, they have they had to learn how to create for themselves and make do? Um, and uh, you know, that, that's a question that I feel like has helped me identify people that uh, work really well. And then the other thing is we never attract people by offering them the most money up front, mm -hmm. but our compensation plan that we, uh, for people that are a good fit, we clearly show them by performing here, you will do much better than you can somewhere else. And so if you want to come here, it's because you believe in yourself and we'll get behind that. If you were coming here because it was going to get you a quick 10 K bump to your salary, uh, this might be too scary and, and you might uh, go running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. with the way that we've got that structured. So those are the questions and the situation that we do to try and help screen through the right people. So for the companies that my wife and I have, every single person we do pay for performance, right? So that they have a little bit of skin in the game, not the whole thing, you know, salary plus some pay for performance incentives. Are you yes. saying that you kind of subscribe to that as well? Absolutely. Every position in my company has that. I love that. Right down to the most entry level position. Yes. That is so cool. So if I had a Facebook ads and Google AdWord expert on the show and I didn't ask for some kind of hack or some kind of breaking news or some kind of the future is this kind of question, 
I'd probably receive a thousand emails from the listeners saying you wasted a chance to yeah. give me a little leg up. So what's a hack? What is a, uh, the future is this, what is something really cool that people should be doing that they're not when it comes to digital marketing? Well, I mentioned here that we've developed some technology. We've actually got this audit tool that we've developed that we can push a button and it will scan one of these ad platforms within 30 seconds and look at a lot of data points. And it tells us exactly what's working, what's not, and how much budget has been wasted in the last 90 days. And uh, this may or may not surprise you, but 76% of budgets spent on Google and Facebook are completely wasted. Wow. And that doesn't even mean that the other 24% is profitable. That's oh. what we see on, that's what we see on average. Now, uh, the simple, and I, I'm a big believer in simplicity. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things that play into that. Uh, number one, generic targeting with generic ad copy pointing to a homepage or a generic category page. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work. You're just not going to get the return that you need to from that type of an approach. You need specific targeting with specific ad copy and specific experiences that you've created on the website. Uh, number one mistake that I see people making. And then the second one is less is more. And what I mean by that is sometimes let's use Google AdWords as the example. People will think I need to bid on every keyword that is possibly relevant to my business. Uh, they run through their budget by 10:30 AM. All the campaigns and ads and keywords have turned off because the budget is gone. And now we have completely killed our opportunity to learn what does or does not work because we've spread it too thin. And we could even do that for a year and still not learn anything. What we've found is that by less is more, Hey, just bid on five, make sure that you can show your ads all day for those. Let's see how those perform. Do a little ad copy and landing page testing. Uh, see how those do and then move on to the next ones. Even if they didn't work, at least we know they didn't work. Yeah. If they did work, at least we know they worked. And it's just those simple things that people aren't doing in their accounts. And, and again, it comes down to bandwidth or expertise. They're usually lacking one or both. And and it leads to a poorly run campaigns. And I, and I hate to say it, but whether it's run in-house or via agency, we've actually found the same averages. It's crazy because intuitively we know that there's low-hanging fruit that we're not doing that is very basic, fundamental stuff. Yet we continue, as say we as entrepreneurs, we continue to grind it out or to bootstrap it ourselves. And we, we have this fear around spending the money on hiring the experts, you know, the people like you. Why do you think that is and, and how do we get over that fear? How do we bite the bullet and say, all right, <laughs> ego aside, come save me? Yeah, I think that that fear actually comes from a good place. I think that we're just trying to make good decisions. Um, and, and ultimately, I think it just comes from lack of understanding, right? Uh, there needs to be a clear reason uh, to, to do business with experts, and they should be able to demonstrate how they're going to be able to do it better and more effectively. And, and that's what should alleviate the concern and the fear, because I think that should be there, and that skepticism should be there until it's, uh, you, you have sufficient evidence to not have that there. But my whole model is, is based on the fact that uh, in order to put a good marketing team together, you need great design, you need dev resources, you need a, a, someone that's been around the block with marketing and that can put together a solid strategy. And then you need platform experts that are really good in, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or, or Google or uh, Bing or whatever that is. And most businesses and even pretty large businesses for that matter, don't need full-time resources for each of those categories to, to successfully pull that off. 
And so to build that team would be super cost prohibitive where you can just get a piece of all of those components uh, in the type of solution that we've put together, typically for less than it would be to even bring one person on full time that's a junior person. And, and that's where I really think that the value proposition comes into play when you find the right type of group to work with. So talk to the beginner entrepreneur. Um, I always use this example because it's my typical listener. You know, maybe 100 to 250 in revenue their first year. You know, maybe they're creeping up on seven figures their second or third year. And let's say they have a, a marketing budget of just a few grand a month, you know, five, 10 grand a month. Where should they, what social media platform should they be putting that money into right now? Is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it something else? You know, um, there's a few things that I would uh, consider before making that determination. Do I have a product or service that is well known? If I do, Google could be a great place for me to start because there will be people actively looking to buy what I have to offer. And so that's going to be what I would guess probably the lowest hanging fruit. Um, if I have a product or service that is not well known, I probably need to go and push that in front of my audience. And I think the best place is going to do that. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are run through the Facebook ad platform. I think that's a great place to really narrow down the audience, test different offers, price elasticity, um, those types of things, and, and push it to them that way. And so, you know, if we're talking ad platforms, those are the two things I'm considering. Do I want to pull people in that are already looking? Or is this something I've got to push to them? And that's determining whether or not I'm jumping on Facebook or Instagram or using Google, or if I'm B2B, maybe I'm replacing Facebook with LinkedIn. Okay, you've been really generous with your advice so far. I hope everyone's listening. Where does your generosity gene come from? You know, you said that you you grew up in a family with 10 kids, and sometimes I think when you grow up in a family that large, you could actually have this feeling of scarcity, right? Like maybe there's not enough food to go around, enough gifts to go around, enough love to go around, whatever. Tell me where your your spirit of generosity and abundance has, has come from? You know, I think that's exactly where it comes from. And I think that scarcity mentality that you described was uh, very real. And I think that that's what drove me to want to be able to do that for my siblings or my parents to be able to go and give them some gifts that they might not be able to get otherwise. And for some reason, I've always just believed that, you know, what, I can figure out a way to make money to go get that. I've had a job since I was eight years old. Um, been willing and dealing since then. And, uh, and I think that that is where a lot of it comes from is growing up in those circumstances and, and wanting to be able to give people things that they didn't have. I love what you just said, where you had the mentality of, Hey, I can just go out and make money myself. It's that hundred percent ownership of your situation. I think that makes guys like you very successful. Have you always kind of had that gene? And, and if somebody's missing that, how can they slowly work to get there? You know, that's, that's a fantastic question. I think that everyone's motivated by, by different things. And so I don't know that that's necessarily uh, the right motivation for everybody, right? I think that everyone uh, ticks for, for different reasons. But I think that the biggest thing is uh, the confidence in oneself to produce in, what, in whatever fashion that is, I think is, is really probably what you're asking and getting at, right? Yep. And, and I think that that confidence just has to start with... Um, starting to look at the circumstances and the things that we do and the way that we feel, not necessarily as, I think it's too easy for us to like uh, beat ourselves up or to feel ashamed of, 
of what we're not doing or not measuring up and doing all of those things. And I think that that's where people get stuck and trapped. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, that, the, that the slight difference in thought process around that is simply this. It doesn't mean that those things aren't hard and it's actually completely okay to feel what we're feeling, whether that's disappointment, frustration, uh, whatever that is. But, but for me, I think it's about having dialogue with those feelings and saying, what are you here to teach me so that I can move forward mm. rather than defining who I am. And, and that to me is the difference. Those emotions can teach us how to move forward where we get trapped is when we think that those feelings define who we are. Oh, so good. All right. So obviously, um, you've got a great you know, handle on your money mindset right now. How do you want your kids? You said you have three daughters right now. How do you want them yeah. to grow up and view money? I want my daughters to have an abundant mindset that they can, that they can have what they want uh, and that they can go and create that for themselves. I, I don't plan on leaving much, if anything, for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I want them to learn. I want to give them the opportunities that they need to go and do that for themselves. And so I'll help with education and some things, but I don't want to rob them of that, of that opportunity to be scrappy and to learn and to create. Um, and I don't want them to feel like they need to do it like I did, or I want them to, they can do it bigger or smaller or whatever works for them. I just want them to have the confidence that they can go and create for themselves. And that's the legacy that I'd love to leave with my kids. I love that. You said you're a very faith-based individual. So I want to ask you this. What role has your faith played in your feelings around money and your capability to be successful? You know, I think... From my perspective, our whole existence on this uh, on this world for me is that God gave us an op- uh, an environment for growth. Hey, I'm going to stick you here, and I'm going to give you the tools and and resources uh, around you, and let's see what you make of it, right? And that's kind of up to you, and 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 go for it. And uh, I look at I kind of look at business and life the same way. I'm trying to do the same thing for my kids, just give them a good environment for growth. But they've got to go make it happen but they need those opportunities. Uh, same thing at work. Uh, I try to create environments where I can't do this for you. Here's the rules of the game. And this is how you can completely control your outcome. Uh, not completely, but have a lot of influence over your outcome by, by doing that for yourself. And so I think it's all about creating an environment for growth. And uh, I think that that starts at the most macro level of our existence on this earth. And I think that applies down to uh, children and or business uh, relationships uh, as well. Oh, I love that. It's such a great answer. So just a couple more real quick questions for you. I ask everybody this question. It's just meant to inspire new ways of giving. You've already told us one awesome way that you give based on your um, employees choosing something different every month. But what is one of your favorite moments of generosity that you can recall? I, I would say at least there's a, there's a couple that are floating, uh, in my mind, but there's a lot of those, uh, times where, uh, when, when generosity there, there's two, I'm going to, can I tell you just a fun one and then of maybe course. more of an emotional one? Of course. I always wanted to give someone just a big TV. I don't know why. <laughs> and so one time I showed up at my sister's house and I had a 65 inch flat screen and I just gave it to her. That's so cool. And and I just always wanted to do that. So that was one thing that I did that I thought was super fun. How funny, like <laughs> this urge, like one day I've got to give someone this big TV. 
I've got, and I've got some others on that list of things that I would just love to do. At some oh, you point. have to share them. I, you know that when you say that, I've got to ask you. Dang it. Uh, I, you know, so, so my, my professional goal, my, my BHAG, so to speak, is I'd love to create 50 millionaires. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of my business ambitions. And, you know, there's, I, I would love to pay for someone's house for them and just say, hey, you thought you had a mortgage and you don't anymore. Um, and so there's, there's a couple of things like that that I would love to have the opportunity to do in the future. Wow. That is just so badass. I love it. So um, real quick, before I ask you the last question, where... Oh, wait, you told us you're going to tell us the real tearjerker favorite moment of giving. Yeah, well, there's, there's too many of those as well. And I'm a cry baby. We go, I go to a movie with my wife and I'm the one crying, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, I just remember when, uh, someone, someone very close to me, their, uh, their, uh, child passed away and, uh, just, just having my heart, uh, break for them. And, uh, just kind of understanding the things that were going on and the costs of, of the headstone and the funeral and whatever, and, and not wanting that to necessarily impact our personal relationship. But I just remember just going and leaving an envelope with, with the money that they'd need to handle all that stuff. And that was, um, that, that was a, that was a a pretty touching moment for me. My gosh, I can only imagine. Thank God for human beings like you. So before I ask you the last question, where can we find you? If people want to work with you, where do they go and who's your perfect client? Yeah, simple. Uh, DisruptiveAdvertising.com. Uh, and again, people typically come to us to get help on Google and Facebook. And, uh, and then we help them get their data in order and the right website experience. So those are the areas that we help with. Um, our, our ideal client shares the same abundant and growth mindset that we do. Uh, we do tend to work uh, with, with businesses that are typically spending uh, – I think our average client probably spends between twenty and fifty thousand dollars a month on Google and Facebook, um, and so we do work with with a larger client. We've got some that spend uh, a couple million dollars a month on those platforms, but we also have a a fairly large subset in terms of uh, volume or the number of clients that we work with that are very just getting going and finding success. And we do want business viability. Uh, we want to work with business models that that when they're presented to us, that we're confident that they can succeed. And then the size almost doesn't matter. Right. If it's a good business model and it's the right people behind it, uh, we work with actually pretty small budgets as well as, as you know, sometimes just a couple grand a month to get things going. And uh, but that's that's really the type of people that, that we're looking to work with. It's kind of full circle to what we opened with. And that is not working with the wrong clients, but working with the right clients. That's what lights you up. And that's who you're going to say yes to. Yep, that's spot on. Love it. All right. Last signature question. Sometimes people have to think about this one. Sometimes it flows right out of them. Give us a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success or wealth. This actually makes me think, so I bought, when I first started the business, I bought an Audi A7. Mm-hmm. Great car, and and love I, you know I love the car, but I never even felt comfortable in my own shoes driving it around, and I just didn't feel like I whether I was deserving or how what people might think or whatever, and so I actually ended up turning it back in after wow. a little while, and um, so there there's two there's a couple of things that I've learned from that experience and others as well. I think timing actually matters, and. Uh, so 
what I mean by that is I actually think there's a time and place to get that cool thing. Now I drive a, a Tesla P100D and I don't feel bad about it ever. I <laughs> love it. Right? Um, it's fantastic. And I actually think that we have good instincts on when the timing is right um, to, to use our success for personal gain um, in those types of ways. And I think that our instincts are actually pretty good. When we feel uncomfortable doing it, it's usually for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we should honor those feelings or at least, you know, coming back to our prior point, let them teach us something. Um, and, uh, but then the other thing is that from, I think there's the timing component of it, but then I also think that there's the component of why, why limit ourselves and why limit everyone else around us? Why not be a beacon of light that, that is an example to those who want it of just kill it and go for it. And, and, and I think that that confidence comes from when I know that I'm not just doing it for me, but I'm doing it for the right reasons and I'm enjoying it for me as well. Mm. Right. And that's where I think that all, I think it's a lot easier to feel comfortable in our own skin at that point as well. But when you accelerate the timing before it's ready, when you, when you kind of flaunt things, when you do whatever, it's just, it, it's actually, that's what, that's why a lot of people, uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, hard feelings towards successful people as well. And I think it's because they're doing it out of, you know, not the right timing and, and for not the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So it, people feel that energy it comes across the wrong way. I love yep. it. That's such a good answer. Jake, I can't thank you enough for all your great answers. Number one, all the great advice that you so freely gave and some of the stories that you told. I'm just really grateful that there's human beings like you in the world that are just absolutely crushing it financially, crushing it in business and doing the right thing. Matter of fact, the show's tagline is when good people make good money, they do great things. And that's exactly what you're doing, Jake. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.